0: And in this final hour of Wednesday's program, I welcome, as we do most Wednesdays, Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz to left, right, and center. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning Jim. I would like to uh, take advantage of your uh, your varying viewpoints uh, on one of the big issues around today. It's not a hot issue in the sense that it's a bursting, breaking news story. It's an ongoing story. But it's one with some some ramifications on a number of different levels in our society. And that's the big uh, uh, General Motors strike. Um in our modern canadian and american society uh... workers who belong to unions in most cases have the right to strike the ability to strike uh... sometimes they do sometimes they don't uh... labor will tell us that uh... strike is really the last resort they don't want to strike they don't want to be off work Um, Some, some some Members of management will say they don't believe that, that it's a very effective club for labor to use, but it's a club that can swing both ways. With the big uh, uh, General Motors strike on now, we are seeing massive layoffs right across North America as uh, some parts become unavailable. Many, many people are being inconvenienced by this. Many other people are uh, being forced to, uh, to go on to uh, uh, unemployment insurance, workman's, uh, various workmen's insurance programs in Canada and the United States. They cost the taxpayers money. Some people say, no, the, uh, the workers pay in for just such an eventuality and there's nothing wrong with them taking money out. Other people say, well, yes, there is. The, the uh, employment insurance here in Canada, for example, is supposed to... Uh to help you if you lose your job for some reason these people are not really losing their jobs their jobs are being taken away from them. that's one one side to the argument uh there are a number of sides and i want to explore them this morning uh jeffrey i want to ask you from the side of the left uh you've you've uh, been a supporter of organized labor and i s- assume continue to be so is what's happening in this strike is this good or bad for labor
1: uh, it's good for labor in the sense that every so often they have to uh, stand up and uh, and take a stand. And this happened with GM uh, within the last couple of years uh, as well. And uh, the the unfortunate issue that they're involved in right now is the whole outsourcing thing, which is sort of peripheral, you would think, to, to sort of the, uh, where things are in the economy right now. So GM are trying to get more of their parts for their cars made in by other manufacturers rather than having them made by GM, which is apparently something that... Uh, Chrysler and Ford have gone much further towards doing and which the Japanese have been much more effective at doing and GM's arguing that they have to be able to compete with the other manufacturers uh, to get their car prices, the cost of making their cars in line, Uh, whereas the UAW is taking a hard line saying that uh, no, knowing these two plants in uh, Flint that make parts, that uh, they want to keep on making parts there and that they want guarantees that GM will continue to do that it's it's funny in the sense that in the old days you used to have strikes over wages it's been a long time since that's been a been a mm-hmm. big pressing issue although it seems to me that uh, i've been expecting that there would be some whopper strikes i see that uh, i think it's here canada pilots are scheduled mm-hmm. to go out on strike in the not distant future because we've seen these times where there have been substantial profitability you know theoretically a boom market with small increases or if any increases in wages so it seemed like pressure was building up there as far as the the process, to me, it is a natural process, and it's a process based on the fact that workers historically have had power when it comes to uh, to manufacturing or, uh, or industrial uh, plants because they can down tools. And over the years, it's been refined so that there have been rules of the game, rules of engagement, if you like, established, legal strikes and illegal strikes and so on. And this is apparently a legal strike. Um, and, and in, a, you know, in a system where we have uh, a lot of power in the, in the hands of management, uh, there is a sort of a corresponding power to some extent in the hands of labor, and this is simply seeing that played out. Bob, uh, from your somewhat different, I'm
0: suspecting uh, perspective, what do you make of this particular strike? Is this good or bad
2: for labor? Um, I believe all strikes are bad for labor. Uh, Jeff mentioned the big issue was outsourcing. Well, who are the outsourcers? That's another, another labor group. So what the issue of a strike is, is one labor group not wanting another labor group to get their jobs. Management is caught in the middle. That's why I've always said that, that labor unions as such are profoundly anti-labor in the broader sense of the term. They're just pro their own members. And even there, I have to say that with a you know, tongue in cheek. Uh, I know from my own experience, I have been a member of a union we went on strike once and it was a losing proposition for everybody the only winners the union they maintain a, a level of political power uh... when this happened to me it was in the seventies we went on strike for something as silly as ten cents an hour and for the amount of time that we were on strike i would have had to remain with that company for seventeen years just to make up the loss that of the wages that i had while i was on strike mm-hmm. and then hope like heck that we wouldn't be on strike once again in that seventeen years So. I don't see strikes as, as a positive thing for labor at all. They are that part of the, of the labor market that does not want to be competitive and that wants to uh, uh, have legislation and special privileges for its group of labor as opposed to other people who are willing to compete for perhaps fewer dollars. And we're not talking about anything approaching minimum wage or under minimum wage.
0: How do, you, uh, how do you control that, though? One of the concerns labor has is that uh, if it was an absolutely free market that you're very quickly going to be down to minimum wage. Everybody's going to be working for the absolute cheapest amount that anybody can weasel them or bully them or cajole them or, or uh, threaten them into taking.
2: Well, how does the rest of the labor market work? It works fine. And it's generally more employed and employable than, than the union sector. Um, the fact that, that that labor, certain segments of labor, may be making what I call uh, wages that are priced right out of the market, um, does not justify their position there. They're they're a weight on everyone else. They're, you have to have productivity for the money that you earn. And if someone else can do the same job for cheaper, it is in everyone's interest and in the interest of economy and basic uh, structure of our society that the person who is wa- willing to do it for less do it.
0: Well, I want to ask you to, to expand on that a little bit because this is an area we keep coming back to on the show. And I've had people ask me that, that they're unclear on this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture. Perhaps you can describe or explain how that works. What you're saying is you've got worker A who's now making $20 an hour. Worker B is willing to do the job for, say, $10 an hour. Okay. And your your suggestion is that in, a, in an open and free market that the job then is worth $10 an hour and worker B should get the job and that society benefits from that. Um, the question that's often put to me is... Uh,
2: that may not be the case. The, the actual value of the job might be 15
0: well, isn't the value whatever somebody's willing to do for Uh, it?
2: Not always. Oh, okay. Can you explain
0: that? How does that work? Well,
2: I may find a worker who is willing to work for $10 an hour, but find other things about him that do not suit my job qualifications, even though they may be able to do the job that worker A does. Mm -hmm. Um, Too often today, labor thinks in terms of valuing a task or a job. Management doesn't think that way, at least not rational management. Mm -hmm. Rational management thinks in terms of a person, an employee, Mm -hmm. an individual who is worth something. Uh, Two people may be able to do the same job exactly the same with the same skill, but person A may show up at work every day, never come in sick, Never, uh, never have a negative thing to say about his employer. Person B may call in sick two days a week and create all kinds of problems. But otherwise, wh- when they're there, they might be able to work the same. These mm-hmm. people are not worth the same thing.
0: Okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, short-circuit back then. So the $15, you find the $15 guy.
1: Okay.
2: The question
0: that's put to me often is, where does the $5 go? Because it does not seem to end up in the consumer's pocket. It does not seem to uh, result in lower... we're looking at cars, for example, at lower prices. Or is, and Jeff, I'll ask you this, are we missing the point here? If we look, for example, at some consumables like, or some consumer products like televisions, the prices have radically, have come down radically. Is that because they're making them in Taiwan?
1: Well, to some extent it probably is, although I think it's, a lot of it's got to do with uh, advances in technology as well, that it's a lot cheaper to ma- build a TV now than it used to be because the parts are a lot cheaper, uh, because they figured out better ways to make them with transistors instead of tubes and so on. But uh, yeah, the whole, the whole thing about labor is a difficult one in the sense that uh, I suppose, theoretically, there are places in the world where people are in, in much more desperate conditions than they are in North America, and theoretically everything should be made there. Uh, you know. If that happens, you know, what what are the implications for everybody else? I don't they know. won't
2: be desperate anymore. Their standard of living will increase, and the whole world will benefit as a result. Everyone will us. us. <laughs> no, I don't
0: think that's true. But what about the people that are left behind, the people who are doing those jobs today for $20 an hour, and they lose them to somebody in Indonesia for $5 an hour? The argument has been, then, that you've got $15 an hour worth of purchasing power in, the, in, in North America, in the first world, shall we say, in the developed world, $15 an hour worth of purchasing power that disappears.
2: Well, other people would argue that... But up until then, you had $15 worth of money going into no productivity since you're getting the same thing for that much less now. Um, That question you asked, where does the $5 go, is kind of a trick question. There's no $5. There's no money in the equation there. We're talking about two people negotiating a contract and and coming to an agreement between each other. But
0: there is $5 there if there's an accepted and agreed-upon price of (coughs) the finished product. And even though the company negotiates...
2: But look, here, here's, here's a mug sitting on the table. All I right. think it's worth a okay. dollar, okay? You think it's worth $5. Mm-hmm. Where'd the $4 go?
0: No, That's not, what you're asking. No, me. no, no, I I'll use the same analogy. There's a mug there. The mug, uh, if you go to a store, any store around town, it'll cost you a dollar to buy that mug, and you'll pay a dollar because the, do- the mug is worth, you think, a dollar to you. Mm-hmm. The fellow who makes the mug contrives a way to reduce his cost by 20 cents. By, by paying his employee less, thereby taking that 20 cents out of the employer's or the employee's pocket and, and some people would say, out of the economy as a whole.
2: But you mean he had an employee that he was paying X dollars and he told that employee, I'm going to pay you less? I don't well, think it no, happens that way. Well, he outsourced.
0: He outsourced. So now you're still going to pay a dollar for the mug because he's not going to cut the cost of the mug by 20 cents. He mm-hmm. doesn't have
2: to because you'll still pay a dollar for it. Right. So the extra money goes in his pocket as profit. And then the marketplace looks at him and goes, gee, there's there's money to be made in this mug biz- business. And then somebody else goes into the into the industry, and the guy's got to cut his prices because he's going to have competition. So the next guy will sell an 80-cent mug. Yeah.
0: 643-1290 is our telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel. We're talking about economics this morning and about strikes and how the two are interrelated. If you've got a question or a comment for my two guests, Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, give us a call at 643-1290. If you're a Cantel cellular customer, it's a free call. Start 1290. Are the numbers you have to punch? We're going to the phones now with
3: caller Ray. Good morning, Ray. How you doing? Great. I use your cup analogy here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so manufacturer A makes them for a buck, sells them for a buck, and then somebody else comes out and makes them for eighty cents. Mm-hmm. But then what ha- what's happening is the two manufacturers will get together over over a coffee and say, "Well, let's sell them for a buck." The same thing that's happening with the car manufacturers and so on and so forth. Now. There's no way if they're making these billions and billions of dollars of profit that they that they that you're getting the lowest price.
0: But if that's true, why aren't we paying a thousand dollars for a 19-inch television set? Because we'd all pay it, we'd all buy them.
3: Well, of course we would, but they they got to make it so that they still make their optimum dollar, but still still make it feasible for us to go out and
2: buy yeah, it. but you would.
0: My, my point is, nobody would, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people who today would pay $500 because they got to have a new television, would pay $1,000. And tw- ten years ago, they did.
1: But cars have gone way up, though. Like it, it, Electronic stuff seems to be different than everything else. The computers and anything, electronic prices have come way down, but cars, which are pretty high technology... That's because there's a lot
2: of competition in the electronic field and little government regulation and no unions. What about cars? They're uh, the, the very opposite. In fact, I'd, I'd be interested in wanting to know how much of the cost of a car actually is labor. Because, uh, you know, the cost of a car today is the same as the cost of a house was 20 years well, ago. Well, I
0: believe, and I, I stand to be corrected, maybe somebody can uh, tell me, but I think it's somewhere under 20%. That's
2: that's remarkable, then. That that means that you're talking about very productive labor, and the people who are concerned about people in that sector losing their jobs to other countries shouldn't be worried if, if the labor cost is that low. Ray, the last but, word to you.
3: Now, if, if the manufacturers, let's talk on cars. If the manufacturers, they're paying outrageous high high wages to the people that manufacture cars in my opinion okay so if they i i would go and i would do it for less the Mm -hmm. exact same job i would throw calipers on a car Mm -hmm. all day long for less money yeah so if you get there's a lot of people not the only one so okay you get us in there that's going to bring the cost of living down because the wages will be down lower on the whole the people that are making the thirty dollars an hour now we'll be making $20 an hour, yeah. because they'll do it for 20 mm-hmm. Sure they would. Why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they brought, then that that just brings the cost of living way back for everybody, which then, in fact, should bring the price of the cars back, but it won't. It would not do it. The, the manufacturers know that we would be willing to pay $42,000 for a car that's going to last you six years. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's just not... It's, it's, the, the big cat's getting bigger and the little cat's just keep keep working, you know, and well,
4: it's, it's, Ray,
3: not, I, it's I, not right, and it's, too I, much contro- it's too much control, there's not the free market out there that there should be
2: well, the, the free market is a person selling whatever he, he creates for whatever he wants to sell it for the, the profit is not relevant to the consumer what's relevant to the consumer is prices and even as you said with the cup if you had cup manufacturer a and b get together and collude to to pull the price back up to a dollar all that means is that there will be a cup manufacturer c or d
3: and, 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 they, and they keep then coming they, in they, then the a and b will have made enough profit they'll buy out c and
2: d well if they do even so as long as they're selling products to a willing market that's all that matters and as long as you're willing to pay x dollars for gasoline or for cars or for television sets uh, it's absolutely nobody's business how much profit is built into it. If you want to get in on the system and make money, then you start manufacturing those things and do it cheaper. And but personally, I have found in corporate circles that the more you can make, you make more money by selling more products at cheaper prices than you do by selling fewer products at like more expensive bulk. prices.
3: I understand that theory, but it takes money to make money. And when, it, when it, it, the way it's gone now for so many years, that there are so many pe- only so many people that have access to that amount of
2: money. Well, if you want to get if you want to start at the top, yeah, but if, but that's not the way the market works. Everyone starts at the bottom. The cup manufacturer may how much money does he have to invest to make a cup? And then maybe he makes a lot of money on the cup and he moves the next step up. He starts going into right. wagons, or <laughs> snowmobiles or something. And you can't you can't talk in terms of, gee, I have a right to the market and I have a right to produce cars when you know but the capital expenditure required is incredible and that even the big companies who have this have spent years building up the technology and investment in capital that makes the
1: cars we have today possible. You know, what I understand, though, is that when I look at uh, the labor cost of cars and I look at, like, uh, Volkswagens, for instance, in Canada, they're all made in Mexico, and Cavaliers, uh, Chevy Cavaliers, are made in Mexico.
3: Interrupt for one second, gentlemen. Yeah. I have to go. You have, okay. all have a good day. Great. Thanks, Ray.
1: But then, <laughs> then you've got Honda Civics that are made in Alliston, north of Toronto, or Toyotas made in Cambridge, and they're all about the same price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if labor was a substantial part of the cost, you'd think the Mexican-built cars, the, the Chevrolet, would be much cheaper uh, and it's not I don't <laughs> but you see this is one
0: of the arguments that people have made in favor of free trade the anti-free trade people have said all these jobs will leave because the labor cost is so much lower that uh, North Americans or, or Canadians and Americans eventually won't be able to compete and everything we made in Mexico and so on and so on and so on the fact matters that that's, not, that's not the case productivity is much higher here um, skilled workforce all of those other things and you just you have just alluded to it right there that, that these automobiles that in theory they should be able to sell for an awful lot less they're not now. Well, what
2: you just said earlier kind of explains it. If o- if only twenty percent of the cost is labor up well, here, well, th-
0: no, no, I'm, I'm only. Th- I'm. I don't want to be quoted on that No, part. no. But I just, think just that's that, where that, we that are.
2: Ballpark figure. Yeah. So that means that eighty percent, using this ballpark figure, is materials and labor and and the, the hardware, shipping so and profit and everything else. Well, I'll bet you that is what's more expensive mm-hmm. down in Mexico, is the be capital too. end of yeah. things. So mm-hmm. so that so that this is one of the things that we in the more advanced countries tend to forget we are quote capitalistic countries we are countries that have been allowed to build capital and that's why we can outproduce and create wealth uh... these other countries are socialist countries they didn't they were never allowed to build the capital so all they have at their disposal right now is labor it's the only thing they can offer to the world marketplace until they build the infrastructure and that's a time-consuming thing and 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 something that demands a discipline to the marketplace and a discipline to you know even personal life that that some cultures haven't achieved.
0: What about the argument though and Ray sort of made it here that and then let's go back to where we started today was from the GM strike where the GM workers contend that General Motors is in a sense is colluding um, to uh, to prevent them from continuing to be productive uh, parts of the General Motors process. They are saying listen we build these cars we build them well uh, we are competitive. You've proven we're competitive because you're the largest car company in the world, the most, well, maybe not the most uh, profitable right now, but certainly one of the largest corporations in the world, and you're still making lots of money. We've proven we can do the job. You don't care about us. All you care about is the bottom line. You have a responsibility beyond that bottom line. And how we now? Well, what, well, what are no, wait, they no, wait, no, wait, about? No, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking here hypothetically for what I think one of the rationales that these people are saying now you might say the argument might be well they're wrong the company does not have that responsibility but these workers believe the company does if they do believe that how else are they supposed to enforce their concerns or, or at least make sure their concerns are addressed without,
2: without striking well how does a non-striking person do it I mean well, a lot of times y- they don't well that's true and that means that that's the option out there and the reason is not because of some problem with the employer The reason is because of the problem with the other employee, the guy out there who is willing to work for the same or less than you. That's always what the problem is. So I keep hearing all the sympathy and concern expressed for the top end of labor all the time. Oh, what's the poor union guy going to do? What's the poor striker going to do? I'm a guy that's thinking about the guy at the bottom of the list who hasn't got a job, who's poor, who wants a job, and nobody even asks a question about this guy. Like, he's shoved out of the labor market like, oh, well, he doesn't matter. Well, that's, I'm asking you that question. What about that guy? What about them? Well, well, how do you how, what are you going to pe- do for him? The union
0: people say we should unionize them all, and then they oh, that's good. Then
2: <laughs> put them all in the same pool. oh no, but that's what and this is all about. And defeated the whole purpose
1: of unions. It'll never happen. G- uh, the, the union in this case, and the unions in in my experience in the last several years have been the far and away the most vocal uh, social activists when it comes to unemployment. I don't hear GM and uh, and the banks out there saying oh, our unemployment rate is too high. Somebody ought to do something about it. The unions mm-hmm. who are saying that they're not saying it because it protects their members. They're saying it because it's a bad thing. All the across the board well, for they people don't to be out of unemployment. work.
2: Unemployment because unemployment creates competitive labor, obviously. Uh, that just speaks well, that's again the race to the to the bottom issue.
1: that we talked about earlier, that everybody well,
2: should be on minimum wage but, so but the profits they, could be a lot higher. <laughs> policies that create unemployment. So they're, they're both creating the problem. They're starting a fire and then complaining that the rest of us have to put the fire out. Okay, let's go to the
0: phones where Barry joins us next. Hi, Barry.
2: Hi, how are you, Jim? Fine, thanks.
4: Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Um... I think, th- I think there's an issue here that uh, I haven't heard touched on yet, and that's one of the things is I think uh, everything drops to the lowest common denominator in which, in, in like, uh, uh, like, a worker's uh, realm, that works out to be wages. However, there's also the aspect of government and how they um, allow certain companies to do certain things. Let's say, uh, like, if, if, if you have, again... You don't care about the environment, so they can pollute all they want. And, and virtually, what happens is in a third world country or whatever, um, you know, there, you know, like there, there isn't the same guidelines or restrictions.
2: Well, that's because in third worlds they don't have uh, clearly defined property rights. The answer to pollution is a government instituting and protecting property rights. If a company uh you know pollutes your property in a capitalist society you should have the right to sue that's how that's how the lines are drawn
1: that's how the okay. company is limited what if, if they pollute your body though well, well, well my, my, my what whole way?
4: point is you know if, if you're a corporation and you're thinking about the bottom line oh you, you, you say okay now why not just like if i'm if i'm producing whatever and uh let's say i can get cheap labor and I don't have to worry about, you know, what happens with, uh, with, uh, with the environment. I can pollute anything there. I can do anything I want there. Obviously, that's where I'm going to go.
2: Well, that would so, be a problem with the country and the jurisdiction that you're talking about. Yeah, but if uh, it's a
4: third world country, they don't have a whole lot of choice. In, in, uh, you know, in, in
2: well, then maybe they'll have to live with a bit of pollution for a while until they pull themselves up. But well, that's why but, I think, but, but I think has the pollution argument memory when it comes to something like that. But, but the pollution argument's a non-issue when you're talking about competitive labor and big companies doing business in the marketplace. Pollution is a, is a non-partisan issue, if, if, if I may. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anyone who's in favor of pollution, and that includes most business people. Business people who are in the business, concerned about their bottom line, are also concerned about their public image. And I'm telling you, that's a big thing with them. So when the public doesn't like something, business pays attention way more often than government ever will, can, and ever has. When they get found out. <laughs> the
0: like the public doesn't like the idea that Nike running shoes are made for people uh, made by people for fifty cents an hour working at, uh, twenty hours well, a day. That's because
2: the public has a lot of ignorant ideas about economics, and that's the only reason. Well, I well I, I was, the
0: but, point I was going to make was that the public doesn't. Uh, the, the survey after survey says the public doesn't like that, but they still buy Nike shoes. They're buying shoes. the shoes. True. Sure, that well, means they right. like. Well,
4: it. that's that's where advertising and uh, marketing comes in, in, into play. And, and they can afford, because they're not paying their workers, they can afford to uh, pay, uh, you know, whoever, you know, Michael Jordan or whoever.
2: whoever. Uh, but why, why should that bother you, Barry? Why does it, bother, does it bother you that somebody in another country is making 50 cents an hour, say, and uh, which is more than they would have made without the job? Um, you'd rather see them where, unemployed or, or, or what? No, I, I think I
4: would really like to see a level playing field. I would like to see the world standards raised rather than, like, Let's say North American or Canadian standards being lowered because they're forced to work for less because the companies will move out of Canada because they can get somebody to do it for
2: fifty. Well, an by, hour. to raise the world standards, you have to lower the world's prices. So, in other words, what we're yeah. talking about, you no, would have no, to what support paying like these you, people you, even if you, less.
4: If you if if you have um, uh, certain guidelines, in order for a company to set up business in any country, they have to meet certain guidelines. Yes. meaning they have to you know, like have certain standards for the workers to work and they have to have certain, you know, guidelines that they have to do as far as, uh, let's say, any waste or whatever. Yeah, the, I, I agree. Okay, well, that, that, that's that, all I'm virtually talking about. I'm but, talking but about...
2: Are you saying that that's why GM's going on strike or any of the strikers are going on strike? I don't hear them going on strike over issues like this, but they always bring these issues up in the middle well, of a strike.
4: Yeah, I, I, to tell you the honest truth, I don't know why they are. Um, uh, the, the only thing I've, I've heard is what... Uh, in the news and the biggest thing was they're planning on laying off a whole pile of uh, workers and it, it seemed like an astronomical amount of uh, workers being laid off. If that being the case, yeah, I see why they're, they're fighting and, 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 well,
0: being and on they'll use any, is
4: any issue they can to make their point.
0: Okay, Barry, appreciate your call, sir. Okay, Thank thanks. You. A quick question for either or both of you, and then we're right back to the phones. Um, let's let's use the Nike, well, I don't know if it's Nike, let's use the, you know, the Acme Running Shoe Company that sells running shoes for $150 a pair, and, and uh, they cost them, I don't know, $3 to make the pair of shoes. Uh, and and in, a, in a totally free market economy, they get to keep the $147, and it goes to pay whatever else has to pay, and then they got all the profit. Mm-hmm. Um, from, a, from an economic point of view, let's suppose that they just decided out of the goodness of their hearts that they were going to pay their people well, and suddenly it cost them $50 a pair, uh, and they only had $100 profit left over. How does that, does that distort the economy? I mean, the, the, uh, the person who made the shoe has got more money in his or her pocket. They can afford to buy more consumer goods and so on. Uh, they can improve their standard of living. They can improve the world economy overall. And the big company, yeah, I'm not, we're not making $147 uh, profit. We're only making $100 profit. Well, does anybody lose in that scenario?
2: When you say economy, it depends on the size of the economy you're referring to. It's relative to the size of the company. If they're only talking about 3,000 employees in a, in a country of 10 million people, that's a drop in the bucket. It wouldn't make a difference. But what, what it hurt, would it hurt the company? It, would it hurt the company in the sense of having lower profits? Uh-huh. Yes, in that sense. But again, if you're describing a situation where somebody only has to pay $3 cost and has $150 of price, and between that you're, you're calling that profit, which most but, of it I don't think no, is. No, I think but, you're right. But let's say it was that to me is a tremendous incentive for for competition to come in they're going wow i, I can make a hundred and forty seven dollars on one pair of shoes but they can't do it unless they're selling acme shoes well then they have to develop a product that can compete so obviously people are buying something that may be not worth something in a real sense like, remember the pet rocks uh, mm-hmm. phase i mean these things have no value <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a completely sentimental thing now th- did that disrupt the economy well maybe it did a lot of people spent money on pet rocks instead of something else but I I don't really think so. Where people place their value is a separate issue from the voluntary contracts and agreements people, other people make with their employers in whatever country they are in. Okay,
0: let's go back to the phones with caller Bill. Hi, Bill.
2: Hi. How you doing, Jim? Good,
0: thanks.
5: Um, I was just listening to Bob talking about uh, how the the unions don't care about the poor poor guy who's got nothing, you know. And uh, I just wanted to tell him that the... uh, union movement and like the churches are the only ones that talk to that guy. The only reason the, the big business people are interested is because they want a cheaper labor pool.
2: Yes, and why then do unions call people who are willing to work less, which I would think would be the poor, uh, things like scab and, well, and dealing with them with, as outsourcing? Is that is that to you a sign of someone who's really concerned with that labor? Well, turf? they're
5: concerned about them, but um, But don't come in my backyard, right? They have to work as a collective unit, like collective bargaining and everything, so they can get a good deal for the workers. Because one by one, when they're dealing with a company, you're not going to get anywhere. A lot of times you don't get anywhere as a whole unit.
2: Well, if you're competing with a lot of people who have the same skill as you or no skills at all, that's a situation the worker will find himself in under any economy, command or free market. It doesn't make any difference. why you're saying that? Like we I, I know unions. can't compete with
5: the third world, though, Bob. Sorry, we can't compete with a guy that's willing to work for ten
2: cents. We can compete with the third world, and we As have, and we, we can't do.
0: compete with that. Yes, we yes com-
2: you can. But,
0: but we compete with them now, though, Bill. But we have unions now.
2: That's well, not the reason. You have capital.
1: You have machines that can outproduce a poor worker in Southeast Asia ten to one. I mean Well I would argue the reason that we have the working conditions that we do, the reason we have the health programs for our workers, the reason we have the safety standards, the reason we have the environmental standards is because of unions to a large extent. It's not because management has come along and gotten generous. If it was These have all been hard Jeff, fought you, for, hard won employment insurance is the question
2: best question. one. I can prove you wrong with a simple, simple question. If that were true, then if you pr- then why then do not poor countries just establish unions? Wealth would be instantaneous. <laughs>
1: I didn't say wealth was established they don't have by unions. Power. I said the government was established a good workforce because go it
5: and everything. Mm-hmm. They don't have the power. Their government just run run right over them. They're military dictatorships or whatever, a lot of those countries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one thing I want to say about GM, I want to say that American workers buy those cars. And uh, Roger Smith and them, I mean, if, if they want to squeeze out American workers, they're going to squeeze out their own... Uh, their own, uh, what would you call it?
0: Um, well, their own market.
5: Their own market. Yeah. But because you know, American but you know, workers buy those
0: cars. But the GM's argument, and I'm not sticking up for GM by any means, but their argument is that we're trying to keep our cars competitive. We're trying to maintain prices on our cars so those workers can still buy them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't make some changes, they'll be priced out of the marketplace. And but but, but that, we know that, well, I know that if those guys
5: worked for nine bucks an hour, the price of that car wouldn't come down. Like these, these companies well, that the talked about the, earlier, yeah. Businesses are making more money. The 90s has been so pro-business; it's unreal. The workers, a lot of workers haven't had raises for seven years, and a lot of the prices haven't come down. Some things, like you said, TVs have, mm-hmm. but a lot of things, the butter and the milk is going up. Mm-hmm. You know, like this well, been butter a and milk, you
2: just pick two products that are regulated by marketing boards. just well, no, what everything's gone up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, electronics
1: have gone up. Electronics is the only major earlier. exception. But it looks uh. to anything else, you know, prices have gone up. We've got inflation every year. It's we not have free trade, we've but you're percent. still
5: paying 30 bucks for a case of beer.
1: Yeah. Well, there's another government-controlled area. <laughs> I saw Again. something about that But do you know how much you
2: pay for that same Canadian case of beer in the States? $3. Well, I don't know about And they're making money down there.
5: 10 or 11
2: Well, I've seen some real cheapos, I'll tell you.
5: You must be be quiet it off some guy with a (laughs) skill. Bill,
2: Bill, thanks for your call today. Okay, bye. Take care.
0: This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. And John joined this morning. John? Morning, sir. Uh,
6: I would just like to make a comment. Uh, You're a student of history, Jim, and I don't doubt that your guests are similarly equipped. If one recalls in the 1860s, the British Empire at that particular time derived its wealth basically, as far as north of England was concerned, from the cotton mills, the woolen mills, and the heavy industry. And it was their practice at that particular time in history to import the raw materials and then produce the goods and sell them back to the very country from which they had gained the raw materials from. Mm -hmm. Is that not true?
0: Yes, basically.
6: And that's why the cotton mills and the woolen mills and a lot of the uh, heavy industry in the north of England from, you know, 1860 onwards started to decline. What was interesting is was that it was the, the mill owners, uh, both the cotton and the woolen mill owners, and the heavy industry, who went to the third world countries and set up their industries there because they could get cheap labor.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So the net result is that what really transpires is in this situation is that the middleman is the curse with respect to the availability of goods whether it's the third world or whether it's the western world
0: now I'm not sure I understand what you mean by in this case who's the middleman
6: uh, the importer okay exporters mm-hmm. And, uh, quite frankly, you're, you're shareholders in these industries.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Because I remember when I worked at, um, at the Henley Farm, who were cotton manufacturers, and it was way back in the late 40s and early 50s. Yeah. And I remember the conversations, and they were most disturbed when the African gold miners went on strike, because it was really going to hit them pretty hard the fact that the conditions that the miners were in was of little concern to them.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: And let's, let's be frank about this. Has not Western society, uh, in, in in most instances, benefited from the avails from the Third World as far as labor, goods, and everything else is concerned? Has our standard not of living not been, how shall we say, greatly a- enhanced? because there was a resource. I would ask you one thing, Jim. you ever read Churchill's book called The Evils of Casual Labor? Mm -hmm. Written in 1920... No, 1908, I believe.
0: I believe you loaned that to me once, didn't you, John?
6: Uh, Yeah, and did you read that chapter on The Evils of Casual Labor? Mm -hmm. Where he said that there was a pool of labor that was periodically thrown back into the cesspool of of, of unemployment because of the boom-and-bust mentality?
0: Remember that? Well, oh, I remember him saying it. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with him. I mean, just because he said it doesn't make it true.
6: Well, isn't it true that we do have a boom and bust?
0: Yeah, we do. But who's—is that anybody's fault? Can we can can we control? Well, yeah.
6: That? The fault is basically, if I'm and I'll be frank about it, is the greed to desire, and the desire to make the most in the shortest period of
0: time. Well, you may be right, John. I have to leave it sure, there. Sure, sure. I'll let you go. Appreciate Bye-bye. your call, sir. We do have to pause for a moment. We'll be back with more Left, Right, and Center right after this. we moved into economics and international trade and a variety of interesting things. Lines are open at six four three twelve ninety. 1290 Kathy joins
7: us next. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jim. I like your show very much, and I'm really glad that you're doing about this subject, about unfairness and wages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't understand, like, for example, there is a big gap between small you know, factory and big factories, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, big big gap between wages, mm-hmm. why didn't company do, for example, like, uh, close the gap between wages, then so that little people can buy products, and uh, that's where they would sell more. Well, and what, what? they would make money because the people would the little people would buy
0: they'd have more money to buy more products that's right what's
7: wrong and that's with that bob? Why
2: they would still make money what's wrong with that bob i'm not sure i understand like like kathy's asking she doesn't understand that why there's a wage gap between large companies and small companies
7: yeah
2: um well it would seem to me that a small company is small because it's either new to the market perhaps the owners don't want to expand beyond a certain you know, serviceable market, and uh, maybe they don't want to compete with the other company. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one does not always start a, a business at the top. Again, I think you're coming at it backwards. When somebody starts in the business for themselves, they start extremely small, sometimes just uh, an office room in, the, in their own house. So to me, that's economy of scale. I, I'm not sure I understand the issue you're trying to reach. It, to me, it would be unrealistic to expect a small company to pay the same as a large company.
7: Okay, but I'm saying about this, even this big company, like why they don't, uh, they're, you know, their big gap between wages, what about if they're, they're lowering wages or even if they keep some wages, but they lowering process of cars, so the sm- okay, uh, so small people s- can buy those cars. So, so
2: you're asking why the larger companies don't the, lower their wages? Yeah. Um, Probably because they believe that they can't get the kind of employees they want at lower wages, even though there may be a wage pool out there. Um, I know in certain areas of of, uh, technological industries here in Canada, there's all kinds of shortages of the properly qualified people, even though we have a huge labor pool. They're just not the right kind, and that's what commands the dollars that some people get.
7: But I know same thing, no, no skill, you know, labor, mm-hmm. and it's a big gap between.
2: Yeah, yeah you know, well, that's, uh, that's largely a union issue there. You yeah. know, that's where a union has stepped in and, and created that wall
7: between labor.
2: Because between I feel labor. sorry for small people. That's the only reason
0: unions Okay, exist. Kathy, I appreciate your call. Yeah. Thank you for joining us You're today. welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You don't, don't, don't spat, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, oh, I, I missed that. What was happening there?
1: The wall of labor. Labor is sort of creating these uh, big walls around companies to keep everybody else out. Well, Labor would love do? to see everybody working. They'd like to see them working at a fair wage. you know. And, and it is yes, true that not- there is that disparity even within the union movement between the wealthy unions and the and the poor unions. That that exists wherever. And I guess it's because you've got these large, well-established companies that have made a lot of money over time and have found that so they can still make a lot of money by paying their workers more. Uh, the thing that I find think about that is- interesting about unions...
2: Why do you think that is, that, that one union would compete with another union if they're all supposedly brothers and supposed
1: to be fighting for the same cause? No, I'm saying that there are there are lots of people in unions who make a lot more money than other people in other unions and other industries, that some industries are a lot more profitable than others, and their workers make more, and that's something that that is an issue within the union movement. Uh, but having said that, what tends to happen is that the wealthier unions tend to carry a lot more of the freight when it comes to uh, supporting uh, uh, union initiatives. is there that
0: an argument to be made then, Jeff, uh, to follow that analogy, that
1: uh, you should have one union and and everybody should uh, everybody saw we should negotiated by the same union? Oh yeah, that was the big thing, when the one big union. Remember the Wobblies back was that the twi- 30s, I think yeah. it was? The idea was there would be one big union and uh, that they would have general strikes that would shut down things. Yeah. And I guess it's sort of the give and take of the power well, see, between management and how, unions.
2: Much, how much labor does not like competition, even within its own ranks. That's why there is this movement to the huge, gigantic collective. To me, I think the more unions, the merrier. And to me, I have a different concept of unions anyway. I don't think they should attach themselves to a business but to an employee, and that's a whole other issue. Okay, though. let's go back to the
0: phones with uh, Charles. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Yes. Um,
8: The way I see it is that uh, a lot of the conversations that uh, uh, the callers and uh, your hosts have is kind of conceptual. Let me tell you why I say that. I have a friend of mine who makes clothes in Hong Kong. He's got uh, factories in China.
0: Yeah.
8: Uh, He just opened up another factory in Burma, and he he, uh, manufactures and sells clothes to, say, Walmart and stuff like that. Right. Now, he pays his employees thirty dollars u.s. a month
4: right
8: now and with each garment he sells he only makes 20 cents whatever the whatever the product is mm-hmm. so i mean let's think back to our basic economy if you could make a widget here for a dollar and you can make it there for two cents i mean why would you want to make it here and and now uh, somebody a few minutes ago said that back in the 30s, and I mean, 40s and 50s, there was a lot of middlemen. Now he says there is no middlemen. Walmart and all these people come directly to him, mm-hmm. and he sells a product. Mm-hmm. So now when you take a look at the uh, the way business is done in the 90s, there is no uh, middlemen. Mm-hmm. And the margins, uh, when you pay people $30 a month, it's still only 20 cents in terms of profit per, per item that he sells. Mm-hmm. So when people say, yeah, you know, third world country, he's making lots of money because the wages are low. No,
0: it's not that. You
8: know, it, that doesn't occur.
0: But there's another question here, Charles, and yep. that is how many garments do, do they turn out for him in a month?
8: Well, that's uh, that's a number that I'm not privileged to, but that's what he says. You, you know, some garments
0: you only make 10 cents. Yeah, but if he sells 10 million of them, he's done okay
8: uh you think he can uh you think he can pull out that many i don't know i mean you're talking about labor
0: no all, all, all i'm saying is for him to say that i pay thirty dollars a month and i only make ten cents a garment doesn't tell us anything we need to know how many garments he gets for the thirty dollars yeah
3: and,
0: and what kind of profit he makes for that thirty dollars he expends then those figures have some meaning but mm-hmm. with, with, without without knowing that relationship they're meaningless figures i mean it's so- on the surface it sounds well, I pay thirty dollars a month, and I still only make ten cents a garment. Yeah, but how many garments do you get in a month? That's true. We need to know that before the figures start to mean anything
2: to us. Well, the, I think the meaningful figures that he only makes twenty cents a garment. Would he be able? Would he be doing that if he only made ten, or fifteen? Well, mean that—that to, that to me is the issue at the point of the consumer.
8: He, I mean, I mean that's the way things are right now. I mean, you can't pay people more than that to survive. Um, I mean, right now with the uh, Asian economic crisis, mm-hmm. he's he's lost his business thirty, forty percent yeah. just because of the exchange rate and everything. Yeah, and that's
0: hurting so, a lot of people. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's, he's you know he's,
8: you know he has to buy his supplies from other people, and that's in you know in U.S. U.S. dollars. Yeah. So <clears throat> he uh, he loses a lot. You know, he's lost. You know, as as I said, in terms of the percentage, what he's lost. And he's having a hard, tough time. Mm-hmm. So I can see why, you know, people, when they go on strike and stuff, you know, what's happening. But, when, I mean, but we're living in a global economy. The ramification of something happening locally, uh, you know, we have to put it into perspective.
0: No, indeed. Charles, appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Andrew joins us. Hi, Andrew.
2: Hey, guys. I just find in uh,
1: non-union companies better because uh you're talking about that extra five dollars in labor costs mm-hmm. i find a lot of companies reinvested into the latest more state-of-the-art equipment
2: so you mm-hmm. become more of a skilled person
7: mm-hmm.
2: and also I, I think that's more important than money because to say something happened to the factory or something this guy's going to be more skilled and more up-to-date equipment than because uh, i find a lot of union companies don't spend a lot of money on latest equipment mm-hmm. like what for instance magna and stuff like that mm-hmm. coming in I think that's more important a lot than just a
1: higher wage, too, and I find union companies don't do that very much. All right,
0: thanks for the call, Andrew. All right. Appreciate ahead. it. Uh, we're running low on time, but there's another question I want to ask both of you guys. A, a quick example, uh, um, Michael, what's his name, who did the movie about Roger and me, Moore. about uh, Michael Moore, about um, General Motors pulling out a flint. And are shutting down and and putting all these people out of work and so on and so on and so on and destroyed the economy and destroyed the the community and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, One of the arguments made in favor of General Motors was they had to do that to survive, that the company as a whole and wouldn't have survived, lots of other jobs would have been lost. Uh, One of the arguments against it was, well, yeah, but all of these people are now unemployed. How does that help the economy? There are tens of thousands of people unemployed. How does that possibly help, in, in, by any stretch of the imagination, how does that help the economy? Another argument, another comment made about it is, you know, if the unions had gone in there and said to General Motors, yeah, we will cut our, our wages by two-thirds, or by a third, we'll take two-thirds of what we work so we can keep our jobs, so we can all keep our families, and their lives will go on and blah, blah, blah. How do we cut through all of that stuff to what should have happened there? I mean, Bob, was that the only option that anybody had was to shut the plant because it wasn't competitive
2: at those rates? Well, pretty much. If you had a competitive marketplace, people would have been in a position to make that offer. Maybe not those employees if they don't want to work for two, you know, for a cut down to two-thirds, but other employees who are already unemployed would be happy to have that lower wage. Uh, again, I think that barrier there that the union places made it an either or choice and there were no compromises allowed in between
1: the problem is that companies repeatedly betray the trust though of the unions in the sense that that did happen when Chrysler was in big trouble back in the early 80s. and Lee Iacocca came in and said look unions we need we need help we need a bailout here. The, the unions said yeah we agree with you and they gave concessions at that time. Uh, on the other hand though right now GM is in the middle of, of uh, uh, record profitability. It's had record profitability for the last three years. So it's making money hand over fist and then to come in and say we can't compete unless we fire thousands of people in the middle of an economic boom time is really hard to swallow.
2: Well it is hard to swallow especially if you're one of the people getting fired but you you have to look at it from the other point of view. That capital is required, as, as Andrew so wisely pointed out, that capital has to be invested back to keep those people, you know, keep, keep them productive and perhaps even have fewer of them but more productive and pay those fewer people even more. You'd think that would make a union happy, but it doesn't. You know, It's a, it's a political thing. But
1: again, downsizing union. ultimately ends up with nobody working. And I was struck by, I can't remember the name of the professor who had first invented the term downsizing who said that he's realized that that's, that can't be the direction the business takes. Ultimately, it's about expansion. It's not about contraction. That you contract during the bad times, but in the good times, ideally, you're expanding.
2: Well, you're hopefully you're expanding your markets and contracting your overhead. And that's basically the, that's, the, that's how you make a profit. You and want to keep your, your productivity, too. Yes.
0: Isn't it? That's the other well, thing.
2: Well, yes, absolutely. You
0: can't. General Motors can't cut 10,000 employees and maintain profitability, or they won't do it. We have to pause for a second. We'll be right back. Well, guys, uh, <laughs> I don't know we've settled anything today, but certainly lots of food for thought. Uh, I should mention that Rick Witherspoon from CAW will be with us tomorrow to give us a union look at what's happening, uh, kind of overall an overview of this from their perspective. He'll be joining us on the program tomorrow. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. We'll see you a week from today. Thank you. you. Josh Lemmer and Bob Metz, my co-hosts for this uh, portion of Talk of the Town. We call it Left, Right, and Center, and we're here every Wednesday from 11 until noon. Tara, what's happening tomorrow other than Rick?
7: Um, Well, I'm working on Ben Veal. I haven't got a hold of him yet. Ben Veal? Yeah. What
0: do we want with Ben Veal?
7: Well, you said you wanted to talk to him, and they... it would,
0: it would be good to talk to Ben Beale. Okay. I, I hear Ben's mad at me. So okay. So you're you're trying to get him?
7: I'm trying. I left a message. Um, okay. We're just right.
0: working on it. And Rick Witherspoon tomorrow, and who knows what else, folks. Make sure you join us for the next edition of Talk of the Town for Jeff and for Bob, for Ryan and Terrace, Jim, Sam, please take care of each other. Mind how you go. And we'll see you. Bye bye.